Okay, well, there's a little teaching line around somewhere. If you got one, great. If not, that's okay, too. I think there should be extras, I think. I think I printed enough. It's one sheet, front and back. And there'll be some, uh, one other, one other dealio coming. Um, okay, so... Yeah, we, uh, we're not going to have a book. We're going to have a booklet. There we go. Um, Victor will be bringing them down in a little bit. Um, okay, Pastor Nelson is talking to you uh, about being a woman. Seems kind of odd. Yes. Um, why is a man talking to women about being a woman? Well, this is a question I ask myself, and I uh, have asked myself for a while. I finally, Pastor Bukes capitulated, so he. he uh, I wanted. I've wanted to do this for a little while. So, the uh, okay, a uh, little Easter story. You know, Easter time is a time for a lot of families to come and visit. And there was once a family who had um, some of their family members come on Easter and. You know, uh, on Easter morning, we have, you know, donuts. We, you know, kind of hang out afterwards. And um, I ended up talking with this family that, you know, they're not St. John members. They're, they're from uh, out of state. And, uh, hey, Pastor Nelson, what do you do here at St. John? Okay. Um, you know, they're at a church where, like, they have a youth pastor and pastor for children's pastor. They have all, it was a big church that had all these different pastors. I said, well, I do a little bit of everything. I teach children, I teach uh, adults. Oh, you teach adults, yeah. Well, I, I te- mainly teach the women's Bible study. <laughs> and uh, the, it was a couple, a man and a woman, husband and wife, and the woman said, what? That's how she said it. You, you, teach, a, you teach a women's Bible study? I said, yeah. Now, the, the children of this uh, couple quickly came to my defense and said, well, yeah, what's the big deal? It's you know, a pastor teaching Bible study. That, isn't that crazy, Mom? And she said, well, I guess, you know, he's, he's just a man. I mean, why would he teach a women, you know, women about, you know. I said, well, that's a good question. I, um, well, you know, I, I try to just teach what God says. So, you know, hopefully whoever hears it hears God's words and not my own. So, um, so this is this has kind of been the background of my mind as uh, I've been thinking about teaching this. Now, there's an old personal aspect too. I mean, you know, there's a lot of like well-known movies based on this premise that you know men have a problem understanding women. So, you know, maybe there's a little personal aspect. I just want to understand women more, and I'm using you guys to help me do that. But, uh, but really, actually, what I really wanted to do was. Uh, Help us to understand that uh, this this class is really uh, it's about our relationship to to our Lord Jesus. And so, uh, when you ask a question about women, it's really a um, it's a human question. In fact, uh, yeah, you know. Oh, and by the way, sometimes when I write phrases, it seems a little odd. So, like uh, learning who God creates women, that might sound goofy. Because I, I, that's not proper grammar. I mean, I, I understand that. But I want to use the the who rather than the what. Because I don't think you're what. I think you're who. Right? People are who's, right? And not what's. <laughs> so, um, learning who God creates women is a human question, not just a woman question. Or Yeah. So, really, the, the fun, more fundamental question about this class will be is what is it to be a human or more simply, who am I? And that's a question I think everybody asks, whether you're consciously asking this question or you're just living it in a way that tries to answer that question. But um, there's a great significance to this because of the incarnation of Jesus. And I, uh, I have a quote here from Eberhard Jungel. Three quotes, actually. Uh, he's a German Lutheran, so I didn't want to be accused of... Uh, not including Lutherans, because we're going to read something from a non-Lutheran. The booklet will be from a non-Lutheran. Um, but uh, 
Anyways, uh, he, he nice little. Uh, th- thus, the significance of Jesus consists in the fact that he is the human person, in correspondence to God, and as such is the Son of God, who also wishes to make us. Now, the us, of course, is humanity: male, female, men, women, into human persons in correspondence to God, which then means into human persons who, instead of being unhappy gods, are content to be truly human persons. One of the things that we, I guess we don't really think about is we, uh, God created us to be people. And our salvation is uh, part of becoming uh, a child of God is becoming fully human. Precisely the people who God created us to be. And so when you ask your question of like, who am I? That is directly related to your relationship to God. Because we only are who we are if we live in relationship to God. But we live in relation to God precisely as human people. (laughs) And we live in relationship to God precisely through another human person, not simply human, but fully human and fully God, Jesus Christ. So this is really important for us to kind of keep in the background as we kind of explore what it means to be a woman, is that um, we're answering this question of who am I? And who am I precisely as a, as a human person? Now, this might sound like, hey, aren't we supposed to talk about Jesus and talk about God? Uh, as opposed to talking about humanities is, uh, is a, not a good thing. Um, in fact, it is a good thing because you can't talk about yourself as a human without talking about Jesus as the incarnate God. So we'll find out that there's a lot of relationship talk uh, between God and, and us. The other thing, too, is uh, knowing that, you know, once you figure out who you are, uh, I think another question, a really good question, is how do I live my life in a way that will, will bring being content, uh, contentness. I don't, that's actually, I don't think that's a word, contentness. But it would be the noun form of being content. So any English majors can help me with the word I should use. Um, that will bring contentness, joy, happiness, um, and so that that's another aspect. So once you you know once you find out who you are, you the next simple question is how do I live? Okay. All right. So the question is then who decides who you are? And this goes back to my Easter story. The woman who was very surprised at me, or a man teaching a women's Bible study, I think was coming from the under the perspective that. Uh, Women decide who women are, and men decide who men are. And because they are, there's a gap between the two, you know, that the gap can't be crossed. I would say that's wrong on both sides. God decides. That's exactly right. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because so much of our current culture is really the opposite. Uh, you are self-defined, or you decide who you are, um, and you decide your course of life, and, and it's really up to you. Um, Christians, that's wrong. That's not a Christian. That's, that's not Christian at all. And as we study God's word, we will actually find out how radical of a statement that is, that God decides who you are. So, um, again, again, I want to throw in the Lutherans here. Uh, human persons do not decide... What, see, he used the word what, so I, he doesn't use the word who, but human persons do not decide what they truly are. One is, as Luther claimed, defined by God's justifying activity and by the faith which corresponds to this activity of God. Meaning, well, here, let's keep going. So, who you are depends upon the one who created you, and not just created you, but redeemed you, which for humanity is dependent upon the relationship with God. So this, again, as we think about talking about uh, what it means to be a woman, or, well, we'll find out as we talk about that question, we'll actually learn a little bit about what it means to be a man, too. So, well, quite a bit, actually. Um, uh, once we ask these questions, we will actually, we can't help but talk about God. And so what appears to be strictly a human question is, in fact, a divine question. 
In fact, uh, not to get too much, I, I'm afraid of getting on tangents. So uh, one of the great things about this identity question is the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, the Pharisees, right from the get-go, are trying to figure out who Jesus is. And it's, who are you? Hey, uh, it starts in, in the Gospel of John. In fact, I think we, did we just read that? I can't remember if we just read it in church or not. Uh, or maybe we, we just missed that. But the Pharisees go to John the Baptist and say, hey, we were sent, we got to give a report. Who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the... And John, of course, has a very peculiar way of defining himself. Do you guys remember how John defines himself? I am not. Yeah, there's two, there's two ways, but both of them are complement. I mean, they kind of help each other. First is, I am not the Christ. And, and then he finally says, I am the, the voice of the one cry, crying in the wilderness, right? He quotes Isaiah. See, that's an Old Testament way of defining oneself. We, we don't define ourselves by what we're not. Unfortunately, over the course of human history, women have often defined themselves that way. How? How, how would they? They see themselves as not what? A man. And over the last hundred years, we've seen a, a great response against that, which actually is that's a good, that's a good response. <laughs> you never define yourself by what you're not. Um, of course, John says, I'm the voice. A voice, again, crying in the wilderness. I think I taught, I think I said something pretty crass about what that means, uh, about uh, something in the, in the wind. Uh, kind of like, a, just kind of comes and goes. Really have you, you can't give a hug to a voice crying in the wilderness. So Jesus, in the New Testament, now, uh, it, it recreates or redeems humanity so much so in the resurrection. What is, what is the defining, uh, like how do you know who Jesus is or by what means do you know who Jesus is? What, are the, what do they do to Jesus? It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a voice crying in the wilderness, but it's, it's a body that can be touched, right? They all think he's a ghost, but... Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. Feel me. Touch me. So, in the resurrection, we have a whole new way of understanding humanity now by something concrete, by what what it is. So when Jesus says, I am not a ghost, I am, I have flesh and blood. I am, I'm a person. I'm a human. So, okay. But he was born as a human. <laughs> yeah, no, but resurrection. So dead people, dead people aren't living, right? So the, the redefinition of humanity in the resurrection is precisely not death, but life. And pre-resurrection, humanity always ends in death because of sin. So when they see a resurrected person, they can't imagine it being a person or a human. It has to be something else. It has to be a ghost. So, yeah, Chris, you're right. He, he, Jesus is born as a human, but that, that can't be the fulfillment of the story unless you understand humanity according to the resurrection, which, of course, it, I mean, this is how we should understand uh, the, uh, humanity. Okay. But, but that, again, we're, you're, you're speaking from the other side of things, the other side of the resurrection. So that's why you have an Old Testament way of understanding and a New Testament way. All right, just really to keep driving this this point home is that um, this is the second or third quote, final quote. All attempts to find out who or what we really are by identifying a person with achievements or failures leads to an abuse of the law. The the reality is is that think about how like uh, how we understand ourselves. It has. It is. It, we always attach our our worth of our identity to something we do, and it, I mean, and that's part part of it. But you, that can't be the primary understanding. Um, 
preceding all human attempts at self-realization, or answering the question of who am I, the gospel is the promise that the human person is already definitely approved, a definitely approved person, namely by God. This is really, really important for everybody. This is a radical departure from how many understand their identity. Nothing and no one besides God tells you who you are, not even yourself. Because it's only God who identifies you as you, (laughs) rather than as something you do. And this is precisely revealed in Jesus' baptism and your baptism. So, John says, I am not the Christ. I am not. And then in Jesus' baptism, we have, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So now the definition going from I'm not something now turns in I am, using the baptismal language, I'm baptized, or I am the child of God. I am a child of God. I am God's beloved. God is pleased with me. Um, so this means that You know, women don't decide what it means to be women, or men don't decide what it means to be a woman, or men don't decide what it means to be man, or women decide to be man. God does. I don't know if that's because of the speaker or not, so I'm going to move back a little bit. Okay. All right. How? So, okay. So we laid the groundwork. Simple, simple answer is God decides who you are, and God is the one you look to for your identity. Now, God informs that, though. So we have to, that, that, that's going to be what the next however many weeks is uh, saying. We see this as a great example, though, in the women at the well in John chapter 4. If you happen to have a Bible, great. If not, that's okay, too. Uh, it, there's too many verses. We read it in chapel. But uh, it's, a long, it's a long section. It's 30 verses. But the women at the well is, is really informative uh, uh, about kind of this question. There's a, there's a whole bunch of other biblical examples, so, and we'll study those throughout our time. But the women at the well, John 4, just kind of summarizing the story. Jesus uh, is, has to walk through Samaria, which that's a big deal in itself. Um, and he goes to the well, Jacob's well. And it's, about, it's in the midday, and Jesus meets a woman. Disciples have gone into the town of Sychar to get some food, I guess. Yeah, no, to get some food. And that's actually important, but there's a lot of things to say about this text, by the way. I mean, I'm not going to study all of it. I just kind of points about this. So, anyways, they go in for, for food. Jesus, he's tired from this journey. I mean, he's been walking for a long time. It's thirsty. It's hot. It's the middle of the day. So he asks the uh, woman for some water. Now, she can't believe it. You know, you're a Jew. How can you be talking to me, a Samaritan? And not only on top of that, she's a woman. So there's like these, there's these social boundaries that Jesus is crossing in this story. Jen. She's also an outcast woman. Well, yeah. So there's a third level, which we'll find. We just find out right after this is not only is she a Samaritan and a woman. But she's a woman who's been defined by these relationships she's had with men. Okay, now, um, I think I've preached on this before. I, I, there's two interpretations about her relationships with men. Either she's been divorced five times, or these husbands have died five times. Uh, I mean, yeah, the husbands have died. Wait, yeah, that's right. Oh, you... I don't believe in that religion. That's right. We believe in Christianity. So, yeah, die once and then the judgment. Um, yes, her husbands have died. And so she's been, you know, she keeps remarrying. Um, either, either interpretation, it, it contributes to what Jan just said. I mean, she is a, uh, I mean, because, well, by that fifth guy, you're wondering what's happening, right? Which is, uh, mimics another story that we, you guys remember that story, by the way? Another marriage story? It, from the Apocrypha. 
Tobit, yeah, right. Remember, she made all these guys never make it. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't be laughing. I mean, it's serious business, but I, it's, it's, it's kind of a strange, funny story. But Okay, anyways, uh, so, so Jesus, now, of course, we find out that Jesus knows this about her. So it wasn't like a, oh, hey, I didn't know you're one of those women. Okay, I'm not. He, he's drawing closer to her when, in fact, most people are uh, draw, draw away from her, so much so that she's, she's, she's alone, she's by herself. Okay, this is really important um, on a variety of levels. But she's alone. Jesus comes into relationship to her. And what does he say about her? Well, he tells her that you're basically uh, you're uh, it's, you're you're uh, a woman who's got issues, but that doesn't stop him. And this is a uh, uh, okay. So it doesn't stop him. And if you got it, what does he call her? This is kind of important, actually. It might not seem that important. It's a real simple word. He calls her a woman. There's two other instances where that word is used by Jesus. On the cross to who? To Mary? No. Woman. Well, we're, uh, he also calls uh, Mary his mother woman at, at the wedding at Cana. Yeah. This seems to be kind of a strange thing to our modern years. But, uh, you know, first of all, this word woman is used just kind of in a generic sense as like a gender, you know, the female version, I mean, the female humanity. But in John, when it comes from the lips of Jesus, it always is it's something more. So, um, uh, who, who else is called woman? Yeah, Eve. What we have here is a re, uh, we have a recreation story where Jesus is the new Adam. Uh, John chapter 19, Pontius Pilate, it's very famous in paintings. What does, Jesus, what does Pontius Pilate say to the crowd when he presents Jesus? Behold the man, which is Adam. So there's, a, there's this whole great, there's a lot of really fun things in John. So what we find out is Jesus is the new Adam, and he is now, he finds another alone person. So it's backwards, though. In the Garden of Eden, which we'll talk about in a second, who is alone? Adam. He's in, he's in solitude, original solitude. And then who comes along? Eve. And he says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And she's called woman. So now the story's reversed, and now we have a woman who's alone. And, But even though who she's surrounded by, she's surrounded by these, these people, these men, and she's alone. Um, but it's not until Jesus comes in that she finally is herself. So Jesus tells her, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've actually had these five. And the one you have is not your husband. And which sounds kind of like condemnation, but this is actually all good news because Jesus is showing her who she is and not drawing away, but inviting her to worship God in spirit and truth, which is precisely a recreation of of uh, the communion between God and man. Yeah, Carol. She is so alone. Why would she go back to town and Well, that's exactly right. So now that she's not, she's alone in the world in a sense, but once Jesus redeems her, if you want to, for lack of a better way of saying it, she now is transformed, right? She goes back into town, and what does she say? This is verse uh, 29. Come and see. Where else have we heard those words from? Again, I'm throwing this around quite a bit. 
In the Gospel of John, there's two other instances that this happens. Yes, Peter and Andrew, and then Philip and Nathaniel. Come and see. Yes. So now, of course, this would be, it's, it's not fully revealed that he's the Christ until, until, the, until yeah, the end. But she, could this be the Christ? So not only, so not only, so she's been redeemed, she's been set free from understanding herself based on these bad relationships and by what she's done, because that's what she says. Um, hey, I met a guy, he's telling me everything I've done. Which, of course, everything we know about the story is not something you want to, like, you don't want to really advertise. Okay? But that has no shame anymore because she is not defined by these things. I mean, it's a great great story. I mean, she's been set free. And now the most important thing for her is this, this relationship with Jesus. And that now defines who she is. So much so that she actually now enters into discipleship and says, hey, come and, come and see. This is, uh, this is something amazing. And, of course, what happens? People come. Holly and Cindy. Holly. Is it, well, because you're using the word woman, is it too much of a stretch that the woman, this woman is like the, the mother of the Samaritans, that she is a mother, but you know, she is the one that brings them to Jesus, and, like to repentance? She's acting like a mother, yes. I mean, I went, yeah, she's like the Mary of this, Samaritans, I think that's probably not right, but she's acting in the way that is womanly or feminine, which we'll find out later. Which, again, this is a great thing because, okay, so uh, we're going to get into this, but the history of the church, for, for some critics, is, you know, it's male-dominated and patriarchal, right? There's no role for women because women can't be pastors. Well, in fact, what we find out is that there are complementary realities that make up humanity. You can't have one without the other and be human. So what we see in this role is, is this woman is doing something that is just like the other disciples. Come and see. She's an evangelist. But in a way that is unto her. her. I mean, Peter, Peter, Andrew, uh, they have a different way of doing it, and she has a, a, so, but at the same time, this, this um, actually, I think I might say this later. So there is a shared reality of humanity, but it is complementary. So at times we'll see that it's, it, it looks the same, but in fact, it's not. So she is acting in a feminine way. Now, motherly, we have to make sure we understand what it means to be a mother. And you can be celibate and still be a mother. You can, you can never have physically born children and be a mother in the church. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that, too. In fact, I think I might have said this before. You know, men are motherly, too, at times. Paul actually uses that language. Uh, with the Corinthians, I think. <laughs> he talks about Anyways, and uh, okay, so, so, so that whole point, we got to be, we have to be, uh, again, this will be our struggle as we learn about what it means to be a woman is, is understanding how God informs it rather than us. Okay, so, yeah. Cindy. Yeah, uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, so the Samaritans, so the, the history of the Samaritans are basically, they were uh, intermarrying with the, the, they weren't like pure Jews in a sense, and they were intermarrying, and, and they had their temple, uh, well, it's, it says in the, oh, it just says on this mountain, Um which would be, uh, uh, not Mount Horeb, Bethel, I think, on this mountain. So they established like their own temple in this section rather than Jerusalem based on 
when uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians took over uh, Judah. And they ruined the temple. and So they have a little history back there. So these Samaritans are part of the children of God. Samaria technically was part of the promised land. So they were waiting for the Messiah. But as Jesus says, you don't exactly know what you're talking about. In, uh, yeah, well, it's, it's all part of still Israel, yeah. That whole region. Okay. Anyways. Um, oh, yeah. Here, uh, okay. Uh, pay attention to the empty jar in this story, too. Yeah, now some people say that's just like a, it, nothing is incidental. There's no detail that's incidental. Yes, right. So, because what was filled up? What left filled up? She did. That's exactly right. Right? Because he says, I will give you living water, and if you ask, there would be rivers flowing out of you. So, she goes to get a drink of water. And Jesus gives her a, a different kind of water. I mean, she didn't get a drink. Jesus comes for a drink, but she comes to fill up this jar. But um, she's actually the empty vessel now that's filled up. She's now filled up with Jesus' living water, which, of course, is baptismal. Baptismal time. Okay. So there's a lot of fun things in there. Um, but anyways, I, that's a re- real great example of how uh, it, it, the gospel sets us free from identifying ourselves by our achievements and by our own doing. Pure gift. Our identities are based in Christ and God's uh, free gift of salvation. But it, doesn't, it makes us who we are. Uh, which, let's go back to the beginning then. Genesis 1 uh, and 2. And we're not going to read all that because it's... it's a lot to read, but I'm just going to highlight a couple verses. Genesis 1, 27. It's the end of six, you know, it's on the sixth day. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right, that, that's very important for us because when God creates man, now the word man in there is what would be, kind of, it'd be translated as generic man or human humanity. And when God creates humanity in his own image, he creates them male and female. Now, in Genesis 2, we get this a little fuller. Thank you, Vicar. We a little fuller understanding of what this happens. So, in Genesis 2, Ad, like I've already said, Adam is alone. He's original solitude. Now, this is kind of interesting, though, because so he, you know, he's he's by himself, and he. What happens? He, he, you know, this is not a good thing. So help him to. Well, here I guess I just read it. He's not incomplete. Humanity is incomplete. This is this is kind of important for us to kind of keep the. Oh, distinction. Sometimes I, I might slip into the word of separating or, or distinction is very important. We need to use that word more than, okay. In verse 18, when it says not good for man to live alone. There we go. Thank you. Yep. Yes. So that's it. Verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, that, see, that's good. Very nice. Good job. Um, that okay. By the way, too though, we gotta take the story as a whole too. We can't we can't like separate these verses. Uh, so humanity as a whole. But of course, because we don't find out who that guy is until Eve comes along. Adam's the word Adam is not used until Eve is there. Yeah. So that's important. As, as we kind of talk about is the more time you spend learning about women, you'll you'll find we'll learn about man because that's how it, the created. Story happens. We don't know who Adam is until Eve is. So now the interesting thing after verse eighteen is that he—it's not like God just creates Eve. Then 
what happens? He names all the animals. So this is learning about who he is. After God says it's not, it's, it's, this isn't good for him to be alone. Well, he's he's not alone. Is, is he's got lots of living creatures around him. But after naming all the animals, he finds out that he finds out two things: he's a person and not an animal. He's a subject. He's, he's a thing, he's a person, but in fact, he's not completely a person. There, there's more, there has to be more. Okay, so then God causes a deep sleep, and Eve comes along. So what we have in the creation story is original solitude, where you find out that you are a person. But in finding out you're a person, you find out you're meant to live in relationship with another person. So when Adam wakes up and says, Behold, or no, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Um, the, uh, uh, um, it's almost like Adam is saying, Oh, hey! Another person. Someone just like me, but, but yeah, but distinct or distinguishable from him. And it's at that point then now humanity is, it's a fulfillment of, of Genesis 127. He created a male and female. So this is important. For both Adam and Eve, they are fully themselves when they are with they're, they're in relationship. Okay, Barb. Well, God created the animals. He created female and male. Well, we don't know. We don't say. Just as the animals, creepy things. But, um, but they're animals, so that would be okay. Yeah. Well, they're not people. That's right. So this is another. This is a good good question, he Barb. Created Adam in the, in their life. Right. That's right. And maybe I this, but God doesn't have a female. They don't. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's right. So now, so Barb, this is a good question. Already getting into it is that, we, again, we don't want to define, we don't want to use human categories on God. So what we find out in this discussion is that it's an analogy that will reveal similarities at the same time pointing to dissimilarities. Dissimilarities? Is that the right word? Yeah. No, no, hang on. So, whoa, 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 Barb, there is femininity in, in, uh, in this. So, uh, it's, it's in the creed. What do we confess? There's four things we actually confess in the creed, although we talk about three articles, right? Father... Son, Holy Spirit, and the church. So what we find out is that which lives in relationship to God is is the church. The life of God for us. I mean, so so if God never created anything, he would be he would be unto himself. He would have relationship amongst himself. Or Again, himself is not the right word because God is spirit, right? So, uh, he would, uh, God would have relationship within God, and that's complete, full. God creates people for their own sake, not for his sake, but to share his love with them. Pure gift. So, some of these questions that we might ask about femininity are only, you can only ask this question if we exist. <laughs> so that's why it kind of sounds kind of funny that the church, and when I say the church, I don't mean the institution, right? I mean, I mean all baptized people uh, who believe in, in Jesus Christ as uh, Savior are living in relationship to God and thus are part of that 
uh, mystery? Yeah, it's a good question, uh, Barb. And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of explain that fuller because, again, this sounds uh, not Lutheran, but of course it is very, it's uh, part of church history and Martin Luther and all the way up to the 20th century, August Pieper even. Um, Mary was representative of that relationship. And we'll, we'll see that, which is great. Because um, when Jesus on the cross gives Mary John to Mary, uh, it, he's, that's the some people would say that's you know it's part of the institution of the church. Like he's instituting John's John's the pastor, Mary's the the, the church. This relationship. Okay. Anyway. Anyways, so yeah, there is no femininity in the Trinity per se, except for the fact that the Trinity doesn't live by itself. It lives in relationship to others, which would include the church, and the church is always primarily understood as a receptive or a receiver. And the bride. bride. Yep. So we'll talk a lot about that, about the kind of the spousal love where um, Christ is the bridegroom, church is the bride. Because so when Adam and Eve were created to be loved, who's going to love them? Well, God. Where does that become fully, uh, where does that become fulfilled? When Christ dies for them. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Krista. Can I just ask you? Yeah. Um, you have the answer. Does this mean that women don't decide what it means to be a woman? Yep. Or men that decide what it means to be a woman? Right. And um, or men decide what it means to be a man or a woman decide what God meant man is for them. Uh, <coughs> and I think they lie. What do you say about homosexuality? Well, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, so this is a variety of things. That's right. It applies to that. So, um, uh, you know, people say, this is who I am, right? And uh, this is the way God made me. Um, it's a very complex question. But I want, I mean, so I put it very simply about when we, this can play in a variety of levels. Yes, homosexuals, yep. But even, even uh, people who feel pressured to be, to live a certain way, to get married, to have children, to be a certain kind of parent. All these are examples of how somebody decides who you are besides God. And we, we yeah, too, much, too many times we decide, we let other people, people or ourselves decide who we are when, in fact, it it needs to be God because God is the one who created us to be loved. And so most of our identity is not based on, you know, how to be loved. It's, It's more about, you know, what do I contribute to society or what I get out of things. So it could be self-centered. I guess they're both kind of forms of self-centeredness. But, um, yeah, so... If a person says, hey, God, I'm, I'm this way, well, I would say, you know, are you sure? It's a, yeah, it's a, lot more, it's a lot more complicated question because, you know, there's a, uh, actually there's a, um, uh, I can't remember what the name of it's called. There's two professors at a Concordia University, Irvine, who have this podcast, which I hardly, I don't listen to podcasts, by the way. I've listened to like five total, and this is one of them. I mean, ever. Uh, uh, The masks are in the name of the podcast. And they interview one of the pastors. There was a, a documentary done on a church in North Dakota that was well uh, several years ago. There was an oil boom in, in North Dakota. I don't, I don't th- I don't think it's quite the same anymore. But um, you would have people showing up in these towns to work six months and make like a hundred thousand dollars. 
And these were usually people who didn't have jobs other places. I mean, they literally would just show up in, I think the town was Wilston or Williston. Wilston? Yeah. And there was a, there was a Lutheran pastor uh, who was basically housing these men. I think it was all men in, in the church. Anyways, there was, there was a lot of struggle between him and the congregation and the town. And Anyways, he ended up being removed from being a pastor for an affair with a man. That's not really about the movie, but the thing was is that these professors wanted to interview him about the movie, and then they asked about how that was revealed in, the, in this documentary. And he has a really great response to identity. I mean, I, I think about it often. He, I mean, he was married and he had some kids, and he, he said, you know, um, I'm, I'm, he's attracted to men, but that's not who I am. And he gives, a, he gives such a great biblical answer from a very personal perspective. A man who has sinned, but at the same time knows who he still is, even though he sinned. And, um, and so, and he also then said to the, 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 the interviewers that, you know, you have, to, you, have to be, you have to realize that for people who have same-sex attraction, to them, it feels like there's no better place in the world than in the arms of another man. I mean, I've never thought about any of that stuff like that, you know, because I don't think about it that way. Um, but that was really helpful for me because this man, without God's word, would have capitulated and said, this feels right. But God's word says something else. And so... He, he was, I mean, he's a great example of somebody who really is in the midst of the struggle and was trying to live up to a certain image um, on multiple levels. But, so anyways, so yeah, so nobody decides who we are besides God. Yeah. Uh, only if I can say, um, we had wonderful articles about ethnic orderly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and there were a pastor who was uh, had a tendency to men, and a woman for a tendency to a woman. Sure. And uh, um, it was really wonderful. At the end, they said um, that that's like um, uh, it's a sin, like uh, you like um, to kill, to uh, to um, to steal, and if you put it in this uh, this category of. Um, of um, uh, uh, things what you shouldn't do, and it's uh, a kind of, and that gives you a kind of um, a feeling that you, at least for me, was that I don't judge because you know you always think, um, yeah, they inherited, they are just born in this way, and you you look for uh, excuses or something, mm. but only that as you said. Uh, there is a tendency, and uh, but on the other hand, when you see that because you said uh, defined by God, right? Um, yeah, yeah. No, see the the thing. Uh, the the, the um, part part of the the reason I wanted to do this too is the fact that homosexuality is never defined as something you do, but something you are, right? So it's identity question. Um, Gender identity disorder is about identity, and I can decide who I am. So these these questions, the reason why it's so difficult in our society is because where in the past these like uh, homosexuality was always understood in terms of actions or acts. It's no longer that way. It's it's defined in terms of identity, and. Um, the church has something to say about that, though. But just, I mean, it, that, that's, uh, so it's a long list of categories of how people define themselves. You know, I mean, there's, there's uh, plenty of other ways people sin against who they are. Those to be kind of, the, these are the most extreme, or uh, the most kind of public examples. But there's plenty of other ways that people sin against who they are. 
that are more subtle. I mean, to us, to to Christian to Christians. You know, when uh, when someone defines themselves as a good mom by or a good parent by having certain things or material possessions or providing certain things for their children. Um, those are all diabolical. I mean, you think about, you know, uh, Rebel Without a Cause, right? Or no, East of Ian. What's the one where he dresses up in the red jacket, the white t-shirt, and the blue jeans? Rebel Without a Cause, right? I mean, that's a great story of parents who've sinned against their children over an identity question. You should go home and watch that movie and think about that. Um, where it's an old movie, it's a great movie though. And I think about the interaction between the between uh, the boy and his dad before the boy heads out to the uh, to the the other guy's house or whatever pool room, and um, how the dad's response is just so typical or what I perceived to be typical at the time of, you know, hey, I provided for you. I'm, I'm a good dad because I've done this. When the boy really just wanted to have him, you know. So, anyways. There's all, there's, but that would be more diabolical, right? Because nobody would be like, oh, man, that dad, you know, he's going to hell for that. Where we talk about identity and homosexuality and, you know, they're going to hell because of that. They're both sins against who they are, and they're not listening to God. So, all right, now, let's wrap this up. Um, the great thing, uh, continue with Ge- Ge- Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 28. The, God tells humanity to fill the earth and subdue it. He's speaking to both male and female, which seems completely obvious. Um, they're given the task to take care of the world. Now, most people will think about giving the task of taking care of the world in terms of the environment, but of course, that's a 20th century anachronistic kind of way of thinking about it. That's not the only way we take care of the world. It includes that, though. Don't get me wrong. I um, I, I compost. So, um, I'm a hacker, right? As a life hacker, I'm a life hacker because you know I care about the environment. I reduce, reuse before I recycle. No, I, I'm tongue-in-cheek. I actually, that's, I, those are all good things, and we all should do those. Um, but what I meant, though, is, is that uh, God is speaking about what it takes to care for the world, things like the environment, but mostly culture. So what we find out is God is giving these, these things to both men and women, arts, writing, science, economy, politics. Oh, I forgot, et cetera. So you could just think of anything. So when we think about, like, male-dominated things, that's that's uh, that's that, might, that could be a problem, but there are things where women can do only and men can do only. I will never birth a child. Just get right right to the rubber meets the road. I will never be a mother. So as we talked about before, women, regardless if you have physically had child or not, are you you have motherly things to do. I, I just I won't won't be quite doing all those things because I'm a man, and then that's where the Bible study might break down a little bit because you will tell me what to do. All right, but anyways, the, the, I, I bring this up because already in the, the the identity of humanity, even in Scripture, is um, women you have very special places in procreation and family life, but also just in the creation of history itself. And that's something that we'll we'll kind of explore too. All right, let's. Uh, um, anywho, we can just probably stop because a lot of this stuff. I, let's just jump down to the end here. Uh, the reason why part part of the background of this was um, long story short. I think I don't know if Pastor Bruzik's ever said this like in Bible study, but you know, the Lutheran Church has had a problem with women. In, the, in America, and unfortunately, we haven't really done a good job of, of thinking about it. Because it always comes to a head point. Well, if we really cared about women, then we would let them be pastors. And we'll find out in this, this study that actually, that's actually not true. 
not because they were women, but because of 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 uh, of what God says about pastors. So what we'll find out is that there, John Paul II, and we have our booklets over here, wrote a very nice apostolic letter. Now I'm a little hesitant about us reading something from a Roman Catholic pope. But you know what? We read something from Lauren Winter last time. How bad it could be. This will be a lot better. Now, there'll be less of a struggle. Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, annoyance. I mean, you guys, will. I, I have a feeling you will read this and you'll be like, well, this is great. I, I mean, I love it. It's great. But it, he wrote a nice, it's called an apostolic letter, which that means nothing to us. But um, on the dignity and vocation of women. And there's no, there's no like Lutheran version of this. There's no other version of this. No one's ever done anything like this besides this guy. So that's why I think it's important for us to read. And we'll find out in there that as we talk about the church, there's basically kind of, I forgot what it's called, two ways. There's a Petrine way and a Marian way. And they're both essential to the church functioning. Petrine being Peter and Marian being Mary. And we'll see how that all works out. And what we find out is that these ways are not fully celebrated and enriched in the life of the church and need to be. So, I think this will be, I think it'll be a great thing. Yeah, Barb. I just want to read a story that, that's part of me and, and defines me. Yeah, right. No, good. Well, yeah. I was very, very young. Probably like three or four and I was brought up in a very sad neighborhood. Yeah. But she was always a very dependent, independent woman, too. So she would always tell me, you can grow up and be anything you want to be. Right. And you can be anything you want to be. That's right. And so one day I went to her and I said, you know, Mom, I'm going to be a pastor. <laughs> and she said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you pastor. I could be anything you I want, want to be. That's right. Mom. Yeah. Well, and it, 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 I, I mean, I was crushed. Yeah, crushed. exactly right. And but that has stuck with me. But that defined me right. very much. It was like, okay, well, God says I can't be a right. pastor. I can't be a pastor, but I can be anything else. But, but then she was saying, here's other roles. You can be a deaconess. And it was like, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a deaconess. So, no, this is great. This is great. This is this is why it's really uh, this is why it's going to be a great thing to talk about because of these questions, and I don't think I don't think we're always we don't really have a really healthy like dialogue about it because I think we're afraid of like saying things. Out of leaving the church because I couldn't be a pastor. Well, a pastor at another church. Yeah. The church defined me also. Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, that's right. The church should because hopefully the church speaks God's word. That's another thing too. We'll get into all of these things. Um, I, you know, here's the thing. I, unfortunately, in, in modern society, this question is not, doesn't really count so much anymore. But, like, I've never, I've never grown up being, um, being sad that I, I can't be a, a mom. Because that's not who I am. Now, of course, there's many people who say I could be a mom if I wanted to be, and it would take a lot of drugs and surgeries. But, um, and that's the unfortunate thing. But the the reality is is that that question about becoming a pastor is is along those lines. Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of take a look at it. And I think it'll be helpful too, because yeah, from my perspective. The church isn't the church without women, and like I have a very high regard for women in the church. And any woman in the church that I know, I would define as being very, like you said, um, you, you you listen to them. You you know you don't you don't mess around. You listen and do what they say. So, uh, and I mean that in a, in a good way, of course. And so that's why I, rejoicing in these, these aspects of, of uh, roles, if you want to call them that way, or just identity, is something that will really be fruitful for everybody. Yeah. 
Krista, then we gotta we gotta pray. Yes, but Right. You know, and I think that was just wonderful that pastors are descendants of Melchizedek. Right. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is comes the the Petrine. Maybe he uses the word ministry, Marian ministry, and Petrine ministry. Uh, John Paul II, and you'll so you'll find out that um, that is that is part of the issue is that the apostolic. Uh, the, the the sending down the 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 distribution uh, distribution of the office comes from a source and those and that that's that's what defines it and and that's why but but it's also what it is too that helps us define who who uh, occupies that space but all right let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I forgot to mention, uh, so pick up a booklet over there, and you want to read to page, so it's not very long, page six, so you want to stop at the third section, read all of page six, go through page six.